What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome-timed, awesome, mega-incredible co-host, Andy Bailey. Um, and, a, and a ripper good bloke. Uh, I'm not ready to go there yet. Someone on Twitter was ready to call you a ripper good bloke. Um, Nathan Hand. Nathan Hand. So, um, I'm not there yet. I don't think we're there in our <laughs> podcasting relationship yet, but... Um, hello everyone again. Australia loves me. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, we are coming to you, um, today. It is Friday evening. We're going to talk about the upcoming Christmas games. We're going to talk about LeBron to the Rockets, and then we have a very robust mailbag for you. But first, as always, I really just want to remind you. Um, Wherever you go, however you go, for energy on the go, it's got to be five-hour energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. Five-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5hourenergy.com. If you can remember to go on iTunes and give us our five-star ratings, um, reviews also subscribe to us if you're listening to this and haven't subscribed to us i really don't understand what you're doing um, we appreciate all our subscribers and again we're, we're really trying to see if we can get into the triple digits of ratings on itunes we're at 55 as of this podcast so you guys have been kind of rolling them in we appreciate that we were at 50 i think last time we recorded so we just want to say thank you and just with the holidays coming up i do just want to genuinely genuinely say thank you to our listeners. Um, the listenership has increased over, I would say, the past six to eight months. Andy and I appreciate it a lot. Um, we appreciate anyone who wants to talk and interact with us on Twitter. Uh, it's just we, we very much enjoy this, and we wouldn't keep doing it if we didn't realize that people were daft enough to continue listening to us. So thank you to all of you. And now for the question that everyone waits for at the beginning of every podcast, how are you doing, Andy? I knew it was coming, and I, I I should have had something more exciting to say, but I'm doing well. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing better than well. That's exciting. Oh, um, there you go. The thing I wanted to ask you about uh, before we get into the previewing the Christmas Day games, um, Zach Lowe at ESPN.com came out with a piece against the Rockets. Super interesting, as always. 
There is a LeBron nugget in there, though. It always seems like there's a LeBron nugget floating around somewhere. You know, if we're not talking about Anthony Davis, we're talking about LeBron's free agency. Um, it's not about the Lakers, though. It's about the Rockets. So that's that's interesting. Um, Lowe wrote, uh, they, the Rockets, are underdogs, maybe big ones. But Maury has long promised that he will go for it if he thinks Houston has even a 5% chance of winning a ring. He will hunt likely LeBron this summer, per league sources, and hopes to sign Paul to another long-term deal. With Clint Capella and Trevor Reza headed toward free agency, just bringing this group back could vault Houston well into the luxury tax. Tillman Fertitta, who I have pointed out before, that name kind of sounds like something you would name your pet gerbil or ferret. Um, the team's new owner has said he would pay the tax to preserve a contender. So uh, I think it's just super – I just want your thoughts on it. What do you think about the the LeBron to, to Houston noise? Um, it makes sense. I mean, Daryl Morey has always been – sort of I think he's one of the kings of like collect assets and then know when to flip them for a star it was you know very vivid example of that when he got James Harden the Chris Paul deal was crazy the way that they pieced that together out of nothing seemingly they they went out and signed all those basically like one week deals uh to get that trade to work uh and I, I can't imagine anyone is more equipped to handle the salary cap gymnastics that would go along with adding LeBron. But we were talking about this before we started recording, and uh, Dan, our our resident salary cap guru, it looked like based on what you were looking at, they it would be really hard to bring anyone other than uh, James Harden, Chris Paul, and LeBron James to the team next year if you're going to max out LeBron. And so then you're looking at at least 10 other guys who are uh, minimum salary. It sounded like there was some ways to maybe keep P.J. Tucker or Eric Gordon, depending on if Chris Paul takes a pay cut. But, um, you know, long story short, it looks like it would deplete the reserves down to nothing. And, um, you know, maybe it's still possible. That's kind of what we thought when LeBron went to Miami. There was some idea, like, how are they going to, how is this going to work? And they still were able to cobble together a team around them, obviously uh, one that was good enough to go to four straight finals. But um, just from this, this super zoomed out view that we have right now, uh, it does seem like it would be really hard. Just basketball wise, obviously it would be crazy. I, I can't even imagine James Harden and LeBron James, the, the two best players in the league right now on the same team would be pretty wild, but it's logistically, it just seems really, really daunting. Yeah, so and if we're working off a one hundred million dollar salary cap projection, uh, you have if you keep Chris Paul, Chris Paul's max or his cap hold, same difference. James Harden's salary and then Clint Capella's cap hold ahead of restricted free agency. Just just those three, the Rockets are at close to seventy two point eight million dollars, and <laughs> you're gonna have to factor in all the minimum roster charges by the time you get there, and that's assuming you can dump. Eric Gordon and Anderson and Tucker without taking back salary in return for nothing. Yeah. Um, you're and it was so hard to move Ryan Anderson this past summer. I mean, he's been good this year though. And like kind of surviving in isolation. And now when there's only two years left, it probably looks a little different. Yeah. Um, you would still be at 80.1, which gives you that's with the raw, like the minimum roster charges. So you're at 20.9 million in cap space at that point. And we already know LeBron isn't going to take less than the max. I'm wondering if Chris Paul would take like 25 million. I think 
because that would be the key and go with like a four year deal because the Rockets can't max him out long term, especially they've seen it like this season. He's missed half the year basically uh, with left leg knee issues, whatever. So like you can't you just you can't max him out for a full four years. And I don't know that there's a team out there that would. We saw it with I think everyone thought Kyle Lowry would get his max. He got a three year max uh, and it wasn't even a full max. And maybe that's what you do with Chris Paul. Is he willing to go four years and 100 million? The only thing, the only thing I'll say there is, if you start him, or you know, let's say you start him at twenty-five million, you're still at about thirty-one million in cap space, which is four million and change short of LeBron's max salary. And all the reports out there state that he yeah, um, is not accepting below the max. And as you pointed out, you can try and work with the sign and trade, but it becomes super complicated if the Rockets are going to go over the tax as part of that trade. Um, the Cavaliers' salary situation, and if you're moving LeBron, what do the Rockets realistically have that you want? Yeah, I was going to say they might not have any assets that are good enough to grease those wheels. Right, and um, the thing I the but the what makes me I mean, if there's compared to Daryl Morey, like we're both idiots, like looking at the salary yeah. caps. So we're <laughs> like, so there's he might have like like he he's going to know something and i i just take it as serious because even again the, like the way he pieced together that chris paul trade was crazy the, to me. just he was cobbling together all those contracts like it was yeah. just it was absurd and i mean what really helps them too is that so now i think leading into the season or at least during last season your two biggest contract liabilities were An- anderson and gordon and neither of those deals look bad now like anderson still doesn't look great but it's probably something you could lop off. I think that's still going to be a tough one to move. I, I, but, but like not, you said, I, it should be easier. And um, But the other thing, a part of me is like, well, the Rockets are just so good. Like, why would you even ma- – like, the depth has to matter at some point. Yeah, they're too. already pretty nasty. Um, but it's like you said, if anyone was to do it, it would be Daryl Morey. And I think I talked to you about this on the side. Um, if they were going to make, like, kind of this home run swing, and they could technically maybe – trim salary in the process like if if the okc paul george thing is just not working out and they're still barely um treading water um above 500 and there is the report um from ken berger of bleacher report that george is not going to tell the thunder whether he's leaving or not by the trade deadline so they're still going to essentially be operating in the dark we know that they made this trade under the guise that he would leave. But if they just decide, hey, let's see what we can get back for his departure, and they don't necessarily want to throw in the towel on this season, you know, the Rockets can offer, like, P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, and, like, whatever. Like, that that's not a bad offer for Paul George, who's leaving in free agency. Um, P.J. Tucker has been pretty good for the Rockets, and Eric Gordon has been, particularly on defense, pretty good um, for the Rockets as well. So th- that's maybe a home run swing that you could see them making. And that's, again, it was just, you. it seems crazy to mess with a team that has the league's best record right now, but that's what makes me believe the LeBron James stuff, or that's what makes me believe that um, the Rockets could be, if Paul George were to be on the trade block, it makes me believe they could be involved because Daryl Morey is the type of general manager who would make that risk. Yeah, he's the guy that's like, he wouldn't surprise me to be involved in any sort of bidding war. Um so yeah, if if Paul George suddenly became available, I would not be surprised at all if he was one of the guys on the phone trying to figure out what it would take to make it happen. Uh, I, I think a deal like the one you laid out, obviously it would hurt Houston's depth a little bit, but it's it's enough of an upgrade with Paul George. Um, so I mean, he's going to play 30, 35 minutes, and 
they would be better. That's for sure. <laughs> and I mean, um, all, all of a sudden, if like again, because the Thunder don't have a lot of ledger, leverage, and I don't know if you want to be paying PJ Tucker um, for three years after this one. I honestly don't know. But the Eric Gordon contract, like he helps you. Like uh, he's probably a good guy that can play off the bench beside Westbrook as yeah. well. And but essentially, you've gotten rid of if they accepted that deal. You could also include Ariza other than Tucker, but I feel like Chris Paul would throw a temper tantrum if you did that. <laughs> um, uh, like then you've gotten rid of your like two of your longer term deals. So now all of a sudden you're like even more just. Uh, flexible leading into the summer because you're worrying about Ryan. But again, you have to, it, barring a sign and trade, like you really have to gut um, the roster. So, um, which, like I said, I mean, it's not completely unprecedented. Uh, Miami basically gutted for Bosch, Wade, and James. So and they they might decide that they don't need uh, like Clint Capella. Like I, you know, well, like they would probably have to decide that if they're going to get LeBron. I don't know how you. Yeah, it would be Chris Paul would have he's to take make way a less. Ton of money too. Well, yeah, but they can at least work with his cap hold and then go. So, like, if Chris Paul, oh, okay, yeah, because they can use his bird rights. That's right. Like, if so, if Trevor Reza just said that he was going to come back at like what maybe whatever mid level that the the Rockets wouldn't have it, but like if like if he was going to come back at the minimum, and maybe Chris Paul's like, all right, then you know I'll stay on a five year twenty like a five year deal that pays me twenty million a year, a four year deal that pays me twenty million a year. Then you get to keep Clint Capella, but you're still. Okay, Ariza, Capella, James Harden, Chris Paul, and LeBron, and then there's your team. Um, if you had to predict, this is the before we get into the Christmas Day games. Where where would you just where's LeBron next? This year? is getting harder and harder for me um, as the season goes on. I I would like it sounds like Lo is saying in that piece. I think the Rockets are a very long shot. Um, Cleveland is making more and more sense to me as the season goes on. But uh, just to keep it spicy, I'm going to say the Lakers. See, my answer was just going to be not the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That, that's like the only thing I believe for some reason. So, And the, the one thing I want out of LeBron's free agency, I, I don't care where he goes. I just want him to take a meeting with the Spurs. I want a report thrown out there that LeBron's meeting that with the be, Spurs. And I want to be able to overreact about it on Twitter. Is that too much to ask? Talking, speaking of uh, cap gymnastics, after that LaMarcus Aldridge deal, they're, they're going to have a hard time – fitting anybody in there, right? I mean, you know Danny Green will opt out and resign for like half a million dollars, which is illegal, <laughs> but you know that they'll like they'll figure it out. Yeah, that's true. I mean and Rudy Gay might opt out now too because he's played well enough. He has been he's been good. Play. Yeah. Um so yes, that's the that's the LeBron news nugget that we have. Back to back podcast we've had some nice news nuggets that have uh come up right before we started recording. Anthony Davis trade rumors. Nice for us. Yeah. Um so Christmas Day games uh, five. There's the twelve o'clock one. Uh, Philadelphia seventy sixers versus the New York Knicks. The three o'clock game is the one that everyone's probably still looking forward to, even though Stephen Curry won't be playing. Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Golden State Warriors. Uh, five thirty is the Washington Wizards versus the Boston Celtics. Eight o'clock is the Houston Rockets versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. And the ten thirty game is the Minnesota Timberwolves versus the Los Angeles Lakers. The first question before we get into the actual games, I want to ask you: Do you think there was is there any team that you would have preferred to see um, other than the ones that are playing on Christmas? No, I think I'm mostly fine with this slate. Um, you know me; I'm always jonesing for a little bit of jazz basketball. Maybe the Nuggets. The Nuggets have been really exciting to me lately. But th- there's no teams that like demand a ton of national attention that I don't see on here. This we you mentioned the Spurs, but maybe they've 
earned a break after all these years. I would have preferred to see the Spurs or the Nuggets over the Thunder. Like this is the Nuggets. Maybe I'll say the Nuggets is one that I'd like to yeah. see because I I just love watching them play. Um, even without Paul Millsap, as long as the Jokic is on the floor, Jokic, like they're just, yeah, he's, they have he's to like as watchable as it gets for me right um, now. And I think also, if you would have asked me this, like looked at the Christmas Day schedule two months ago, we probably would have said, "Wow, they got this right." But I just have no desire. I don't like watching Thunder games. I just I thought They've I would been... enjoy it. I was going to say they've been better. Like, I think, I feel like they're slowly figuring things out, but it's still, it's, like it's ugly better. I'm with you. It's not an enjoyable brand of basketball. But for the most part, and one of the gripes that we all probably would have had, or, or like non Lakers fans at the beginning of the year, would have been like, oh, the Lakers shouldn't be on here. But the Lakers are fun. <laughs> I enjoy watching them more than I like watching the Timberwolves. There's, yeah, there's several players. Like, Kuzma's fun to watch. I think Lonzo's fun to watch. Ingram is starting to figure things out. I'm I'm from Wyoming, so I love Larry Nance. There, there's a lot to like about the Lakers. So, um, good Christmas Day slate. What is the game that you are? We're because we're going to go out of order because we always think order is overrated. Game you are most looking forward to? Hmm. I'm also going to demand a pick from you as well for said game. Okay, so I am. You're trying to throw a curveball and get us out of order, but I'm going to stay in order because I the one of the teams I do enjoy watching this year is the 76ers. And they are slated to go first uh, on Christmas Day, and they're taking on the Knicks. Um, you mentioned before we started recording, this schedule might c- get kind of decimated by injuries. I think there's, you know, Porzingis has been dealing with stuff all season. Embiid might not play. He's been out the last few games. But um, anytime the Sixers are on and there's there's not another game that I'm just like, they're basically my fallback because I just love watching Ben Simmons play. Um, I'm, I just, the way he passes, the way he can get to the rim, I just really, really enjoy this. Even, even with the slide that they've been on since Embiid's had his health issues, they're still, um, very, very watchable for me that, so I'm going to go number one, them. They're still fun to watch. Um, they've just, which is kind of funny. This is probably the. I actually have to work a couple of these games for Bleach Report. That's that might be the only one I don't watch because I'll still be doing family stuff. But if uh, I had to pick one, I'd go there. It's been a rough go for the Sixers though lately. Two and eight. Over it has. The last 10. Yeah. Um, their offense has just been super stagnant. Defense hasn't been great. Um, and the Embiid injuries aren't helping. And then you lose that triple overtime thriller um, to the Thunder, in which Embiid played a zillion minutes. I, I even it seems like Ben Simmons has even been on like kind of a quasi slump too even though like his, some of his shooting percentages are still good although he he was shooting like under 50 percent or under 47 percent from the foul line over his last 10 um I, he just I, I don't know i'm his numbers are still gaudy but he's been turning the ball over a lot more uh, 5.1 turnovers per game over his last seven um it just something about them seems a little bit more human and then even like robert covington's been on like kind of this like mini offensive slide since he returned um, from when he like was diving into the stands against the Cavaliers a, a week or, or two ago. I, I'm less confident in the Sixers than I was a couple weeks ago. And the, the big thing for me with them is is their depth behind like the starters or their key yeah. guys. They don't really have any proven wings coming off the bench. And I don't know that that makes them less fun to watch. I still think they'll ultimately get into the playoffs. But if you're going to tell me a B's going to play – then that game should be really fun because the Knicks have been surprising. They're they're not going to have Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, 
Kristaps Porzingis, I feel like, is just let's just consider him day to day until otherwise. Yeah, he came back and went over the Celtics, but he shot over. He needs 11. to have that yeah. uh, embrace the tank surgery we talked about a few episodes ago. Yeah, the Knicks are winning way too much. Um, <laughs> like it's just it's like they're making people believe that they should be in the playoffs, and even I'm like, you know, you you stage a comeback without Porzingis on the floor against the Celtics on Thursday night, and you're just getting production from guys like Beasley and Doug McDermott. It's uh, I, I'm Frank Nielkina looks good. I'm, I'm I'm officially torn, and I'm willing to admit at some point that I, like my forecast for the Knicks could be wrong. But we I, have multiple Beasley questions coming up later. By the way, spoilers for the mailbag. <laughs> uh, but that's a game that I really look forward to because I love watching Kristaps Porzingis, and then the Sixers when they're at full strength and their key guys have been on the floor, um, they've been really fun. I do like the. Uh, lineups they've run out when you've had Rachon Holmes and Joel Embiid on the floor at the same time. I think that's I'm a big you know I'm a big Rachon Holmes guy, um, and they've been like surprisingly not terrible. Like you would think because when those two guys are on the floor, they're most likely going to be playing with one of Ben Simmons or Dario Saric. So it almost feels like you're playing with um, three bigs at that point. But those those lineups haven't been. Um, absolutely terrible. And there's like Richard Holmes does some stuff where he just like, uh, he bobbles the ball. Um, I think we saw that the other night late in the game, he kind of bobbled the pass. Um, but he's just, I I find him so electric and, and fun to watch. And if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna go big, the, um, Embiid Holmes pairing has, has been, I, I, they've only played in, I was looking at this for the podcast. They played in less than five games, but 54 minutes and offensive rating of 118.7 defensive rating, of 101, so a net rating of 17.7 with those two on the floor together. And I just, I don't know, they're doing some things, and I don't necessarily, I know some people, as another spoiler as we get to the mailbag, are unhappy with Brett Brown, but I just, I don't think he's been given much yet. Like, not having Markel Fultz torpedoes their depth, uh, and they just, they don't have, a, like, there are a lot of intriguing yeah. players on this roster, but TLC isn't there. Justin Anderson, like, isn't there. Uh, so you have these guys like Amir Johnson and Trevor Booker, and it's it's fun to see when Rachon Holmes gets minutes. But like they don't have these. Like there's Jared Bayless, okay, but it's, it, then all of a sudden it's Jared Bayless. So it's I don't it's know. It's definitely a depth problem, I think, more than coaching. Oh, for sure. And so I go back. I actually and... just looked this up this morning. When when Embiid, Simmons, and Covington are on the floor together, they're still plus thirteen and a half per hundred possessions. Which is again, it's absurd. And even TJ McConnell's been good this year too. Yeah, he he has been. He's been really good. Um, but after like, I don't know. It, there there may be five or six deep. It, it if it falls off that bad after your top three, you've got problems. Um, so what would be your pick for that? We didn't really get into the Knicks. The the Knicks are spunky. Like they're just yeah. I, I just don't know what else to say other than like they're plucky, and I the offense has been better than I expected. And Kristaps, when he's been healthy for the most part, has been really good. But you're like and Michael Beasley has been freed. I don't. We we can't talk about Michael Beasley because stuff's coming up. But yeah, and so I tweeted this last night. I no longer cringe at every Jared Jack runner, which either means I'm growing up or that I'm dead inside. It's just I streamed him into my fantasy team a couple of weeks ago. That's that's how much I've uh, that's the respect changed on Jared Jack. Yeah, I just I they're I, they've still played a home heavy schedule. They need to figure out kind of how to win um, on the road. It's just I don't know. There's something about the, the team is just the outcome of this one is just totally dependent on who's playing. I think full um, strength because I think everything. The report from Woj was that that Embiid is anticipating playing and that it's almost that he's going to be held out of 
the games against the Raptors. Um, just to make sure yeah, he's just ready. Just to make sure this. that he's ready. If they're at full if, strength. If both teams are full strength, I'm going to go Sixers. Because I, I do think when they have that full comp, like when those starters are able to play a decent amount of minutes together, I think that's a good team. They're a fantastic team. My um, not that New York's bad. Like like you said, they've well, been better than I expected. As, but I I think I think Philly's a little bit better if they're as, healthy. As one of the people who have like haven't even boarded the Knicks bandwagon, uh, I will say that it's kind of like I don't know. It's a New York is scrappy at home. And this game is being played. And it is in New York, York. yeah. And so the Knicks have a – they're a plus 6.7 points per 100 possessions, which ranks eighth in home net ratings. Huh. So, I mean, like they have a better home net rating than the Boston Celtics, the Washington Wizards, the Pacers. Um, That's a – you know, that's like a – I think that's a big deal. I mean, you can't have Kristaps Porzingis throwing up bagels and be prepared to win, obviously. That's pretty Uh, crazy that they – actually did do that <laughs> yes um so it's just i i don't know i i i think i'm gonna just pick, go with your heart dan i'm picking the knicks and i i feel like i wouldn't <laughs> pick the knicks for anything but i think they'll win that game but again Embiid on that if Embiid's healthy it's a different if Embiid's not playing I, i'm still gonna like then it's the knicks for me easily because the six yeah that's i would say the same thing him. um so they're philly's now one in seven when Embiid doesn't play just for a last feather on that one. Oh geez so um, you are picking the Sixers. I am picking the Knicks. Um, I'm going to jump out of order and go with the 10:30 matchup: Minnesota right. and the Lakers. I don't enjoy watching the Timberwolves that much either. I don't know about you. Jimmy Butler is so fun. It's another sort of ugly offense. <laughs> I the thing with Jimmy Butler now too. I feel like if it's crunch time and he wants to get to the free throw line. He's just going to get to the free throw that's, line. I think that's the biggest difference in the Timberwolves the last couple of weeks is him sort of saying, okay, now I'm I, I'm the best player on this team. <laughs> and, like, get out of my way. Yeah. And someone was mad. I think it's been team-changing for them. Someone was mad on Twitter at me the other day because I made, like, a joke. I did a the biggest free agency bus piece, piece over at Bleacher Report that people can go check out if they want to. And I, I said – that I'm not including people who signed extensions that won't kick in until next year. And then I wrote in parentheses, Andrew Wiggins, you can get in my DMs and thank me. And so someone <laughs> went off someone went off of me on Twitter saying, like, oh, it's Tom Thibodeau's fault that Wiggins like is what he's become. And I, I don't disagree because Wiggins doesn't have the same freedom that he does on the offensive end anymore. And when he when he is like cutting and diving toward the basket, like he's been pretty good. But you're also not going to use Andrew Wiggins as like a rim roller off screens. Uh, he's shooting over his last 15 games. He's slashing 38.8% shooting, 28.4% three point shooting, and 65.1% shooting from the foul line. Eesh. Like it's just it's not good. And he's he's in some of these like really fortunate lineups. So his like plus minus. I haven't isn't, heard isn't as much bad. about that. Uh... Andrew Wiggins, Robert Covington debate since the season started. Either, by the way, did you? I don't know. I asked when Cole Zuliker was on from the Stepian. I asked him, fast forward for me two to three years down the line, who's the more valuable player, Andrew Wiggins or Spencer Dimwitty? <laughs> oh, I did hear that actually. Um, it was mostly um, tongue in cheek, but it's he, you but just, like not completely outrageous. The thing is, is that you shouldn't be <laughs> because Andrew Wiggins is not a max player yet. 
but he's also he's not a good defender still. He's some of his like metrics have improved because Jimmy Butler is on the floor a lot of the time and he's going to handle harder assignments, but Andrew Wiggins isn't a good defender and but the other thing is, is I also see the point why someone was mad. You don't pay Andrew Wiggins max money eventually because it's going to happen next season to be like we what did we call Kevin Love like the glorified James Jones when he was in Cleveland like you don't pay Andrew Wiggins to sit in the corner because one he's never yeah. been a great shooter last year was like one of the, the only season that he came close to sniffing the league average and efficiency from beyond the arc and then this year specifically he is shooting 34.4% on pull up threes and 28.2% on catch and shoot threes and he's he's not attempting as many pull up threes but like his, his uh, here's an even better stat. He's attempting 3.4 catch and shoot attempts in general per game, 29.1% shooting on those. He's attempting 5.8 pull ups a game. He's hitting them at a 33.9% clip. Neither of those are good, but he's like he's just when he reverts to kind of those junky long twos or like those just weird weirdo bad shots. Like he's more likely to hit he's them also, than in theory those higher efficiency looks. Yeah. He's shooting a lot from the mid-range, too. Almost 35% of his shots come from 10 feet to the three-point line. And he's shooting about 34% on them. Yeah, I just, I don't, I, like, and Did I, you see my comparison of him and Ricky Davis the other day? No, but apparently you were throwing up <laughs> Cindy in incandescent takes the other day. Um, uh, This might have been a while back, actually, but... See Andrew Wiggins' player efficiency rating through four years fifteen point three. Ricky Davis's player efficiency rating through four years fifteen point three. Um, Wiggins' box plus minus through four years minus two point four. Ricky Davis's box plus minus through four years minus one point seven. Um, it goes on and on. There are a lot of similarities between Andrew Wiggins and Ricky Davis, which was. Kind of shocking to me. Well, not really shocking because I I thought to look it up, but maybe shocking to some other people. <laughs> uh, so, I w- would you like a positive Andrew Wiggins stat, though? Yes, I did say that he was a good cutter, and they should probably consider like trying to use him more I, for that. It's I looked up his cut uh, play type the other day, actually. So this is interesting. Yeah, one point five point six one. I'm sorry, one point five six points per possession. But only um, like one possession a game, right? Something yeah, like it's a, that. it's a little bit less than one possession a game. He's shooting 22 of 29 on 32 possessions. That's 75.9%. Um, he gets to the foul line almost 22% of the time, too, when he's... So, yeah. I so looked that up the other day. I don't even remember why, but I thought... I don't know how hard it is to engineer an offense that gets him four or five looks off of cuts a game, but that, that could be, like, career-changing. <laughs> well, so the thing with them, though, would be they need to improve their shot profile because they're— Well, yeah, that would certainly help. The the fact that they um, remain a top-10 offensive team, uh, they're I think they're, they're at sixth right now still. They were fifth, I think, when we last recorded. They're sixth in points scored per 100 possessions. I'm still just kind of absolutely miffed because they're sixth in long mid-range uh, frequency attempts per game. Like, and that's— you know, and they're 23rd in shot attempt frequency at the rim, and they're 28th in three-point frequency, 29th in corner three or non-corner three-point frequency. So I, their shot, their their spacing needs to improve, or they need to leverage it more because I wouldn't say that they're filled with a bunch of non-shooters, but at the same time, like if you're when you're going to run Carl Anthony Towns and Taj Gibson at the same time, you're not you're just not going to have all the space to set up. 
cuts, especially when, and this isn't a knock against Butler, but you want him to be that kind of, he's going to like put his head down and drive. Like, so you're taking away space. It's just hard to set up those um, backdoor cuts or to get Andrew Wiggins moving. That also being said, the last thing I'll say about him, uh, like they just need to move him more. Even if it's just a matter of, okay, bring him off more screens to have him run around the perimeter. Maybe he's just, maybe he'll get better in rhythm rather than just standing around behind the arc and waiting uh, for a kick out. Yeah, I, they've got to do something different. They're a lot like, um, at least some of the games that I've watched, it's really similar to the sort of your turn, my turn offense we've talked about with OKC. In, any sort of change would certainly help. Um, you need to who do get, you have? You, you, I was, was going to say, say, who do you pick for that one? Well, I was going to say, we need to, you need to drop some Jimmy Butler love now, right? Because he's been, like, absurd. He's been awesome. Well, I actually it, went through... Uh, he he wasn't I don't know where he was a couple of weeks ago, but I did my weekly top tens today. Um I haven't posted them yet, but he's he's made his way into the top ten in real plus minus. He's been fantastic of late. Over the last fifteen games, but first of all, this is this is probably the I don't know if it's the most scary or the most impressive stat. He has played five hundred and seventy one minutes over the last fifteen games, <laughs> which is thirty eight point one a night. When he's on the floor the Timberwolves are scoring 114.8 points per 100 possessions during that time. That would rank first in the league. Uh, more impressively to me, even though it's not great, 105.4 uh, possessions allowed on the defensive end when he's uh, in the game. And that's like a pleasantly mediocre mark. It would rank 11th, which for this Timberwolves team is huge uh, because yeah. they're, they're basically just going to hover around the bottom five all year. So they're in the last 15 games, they're a plus 9.4 per 100 possessions with him on the floor. He's been utterly spectacular. His shooting slashes have been uh, – his three-point percentage is still a little shaky, but I think over his last 15, he's at like 36.2%, which is, you know, you try shooting at league average in this Minnesota Timberwolves offense. It's probably not – I can't even remember easy. who they were playing, but he had a dagger pull-up three in transition the other day that I was like – and I think it was in crunch time too. It was just like this is um It's nuts. Last year's Jimmy Butler is back. And that play against the Blazers the other night where he got three of them to just leave their feet yeah. when he was in the in the restricted area. It was just he's incredible. Um I had one more note on Wiggins. Oh, then bring it. <laughs> so I was curious because um I I don't remember what his number of uh possessions used as a cutter was. And it's not in this first list of so it's it's probably around one or less. Um, he uh, is at yeah, it's a little bit more than one per game. Thirty-five total possessions on the season through thirty appearances. Okay. The leader among players who've played at least ten games, the leader in possessions used as a cutter is John Henson at three point three, tied with Rudy Gobert. And you have to go all the way down to T.J. Warren is the leading non-big. Oh, maybe we can count Giannis, too. Um, Giannis is 2.4 a game. TJ Warren's 1.9. So I don't know. I Maybe I should look into how the NBA classifies someone using a possession as a cutter, but it seems pretty rare for wings. Just about everybody on here is a pig. I'm surprised Clay Thompson wasn't on there. He is at – I actually just scrolled past him. Um, one and a half. LeBron's at one and a half. Roberson's one point six. But I mean, it's mostly big guys in this first part of the list. But I, you would think air cuts would be from pick and rolls, but 
who knows? That's that's something for me to research. What is? <laughs> how does the NBA classify a cutting possession? Make a little mental note of that for yourself <laughs> to research um, in the future. The so we should talk about the Lakers a little bit because they've been like kind of spun, like they're just, I don't know they're they're fun to watch. I, I don't even know. Kyle Kuzma is like beyond shocking me. When I was tweeting out uh, during the summer league, like I would compare him and Jason Tatum mostly just to needle. Celtics fans like at that point <laughs> I didn't think would. yeah <laughs> that was the main reason but he just continues to be ridiculous offensively I was like oh he had one good game in the summer league oh he had one good summer league oh he had a good preseason now we're almost halfway through the NBA season he's averaging like a point more per game than he did in college it's crazy I wish he would play more defense he just doesn't even seem like kind <laughs> of aggressive I know that I feel like that's probably an oxymoron to say of a rookie or even a sophomore, but I, I'm, I'm still Brandon Ingram is still my favorite Laker to watch. And I, he's just, fun too. There's sometimes he seems really out of control to me. And I wonder if it's just how like spindly he is. Um, but he has definitely, he's definitely been better than he was last season. That's for sure. Do you know what he kind of reminds me of when he's attacking the rim? And I, I, I don't want people to, like, this isn't it. Cause the player types, they're just different. But whenever I watch Anthony Davis, he's, under control, reckless, and that's what Brandon Ingram seems like when he's on his way to the basket. You're surprised he doesn't commit even more turnovers than he already does. Just because they have a couple under control, reckless guys, then, because that's how I describe Julius Randle too. Hey, oh, that's fair. Hey, I'm I'm here for the KCP pull up threes, like in transition too. Whereas I'm I'm always KCP shocked. Island has, has got to be getting lonely for you. Um, I'm fine with it. I'm I'm still there. I I think he's been a big part of like why their defense is okay. And there's just a lot of, like, getting back in transition or being, like, kind of defending um, in the half court a little bit better uh, they have been this season. So I'm, I don't know, I haven't, I didn't think that was a bad acquisition. I mean, he's um, doing the work. He's about what he was last season. I I should, like, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what he gets paid this summer, though. Like, is he just going to, he should just, for the the prime of his career, he should be the one-year mercenary salary placeholder. (laughs) Just give me $20 million contracts every year. Yeah, Um, I do. I'm still – this is what – so the Lakers are still sixth. Um, oh, excuse me. They're still 10th in points allowed per possession in the half court. Like we're coming up on halfway through the season. That's that's that pretty wild. Crazy. Yeah, and I would not have anticipated that. They're just – I don't know. They see – they kind of just seem – they're spunky. Like they're plucky. And they I, have I a bunch of like them. solid individual defenders. I think Lonzo is way ahead of where most rookies are defensively. I think Nance is a good defender. Uh, like we just mentioned, Caldwell Pope is solid. Lopez isn't like known as a great defender, but he's a veteran, and he's he's one of those guys who's kind of a good stationary rim protector, can kind of take up space under the rim. So it, like it makes sense, but um, it's it's still surprising. I wouldn't have pegged them being this good defensively. And they're even they're not terrible getting back in transition. They're tenth according to cleaning. Oh, excuse me, ninth according to cleaning the glass. And points allowed per possession after a live rebound, uh, after one of their misses. So it's just That's solid too. Then yeah. Uh, and again, we're halfway through the season now, so these numbers aren't exactly skewed. Yeah, we've by got small plenty samples of anymore. Sample. Yeah. Uh, who would you pick? Uh, for, well, also Lonzo Ball. So is he going to go for like a, a triple double? He, he has been double? good lately too. Um, I just looked up his splits. Live research. Um, his last five games. This is the longest 
live research that no i've got it for you right now 13.4 points 7.2 assists 7.3 bounds 43.6 percent from the field and 38.7 percent from three he does seem to be that his like he's just shooting it sooner like it doesn't seem like he's hesitating as much anymore one cool thing too with him um once again i don't remember the opponent but he hit a pull-up two-pointer from about 15 feet just to the right of the elbow and somebody like super slow mode it and uh it wasn't the like bring it across your face catapult like he just went straight up with the jump shot and he switched it and the whoever did the video i wish i could remember that too but they were like are they secretly working on this? That would be crazy if they're secretly. kind of behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm su- surprised LeVar Ball didn't like apprise us all of the situation. <laughs> yeah. But if if they like remade his shot, and I've I've always been one of those people who's kind of like um, repetition is more important than form because you look at some like Kevin Martin or Reggie Miller; those guys had terrible shooting forms, but they were still super effective just because. I think just tons and tons of repetition. So I always thought that that would kind of win the day for Lonzo, but I don't, I don't know if he can hit a little mid-range jumper shooting like that. That might that might help. Yeah, and I, you know what's probably just also helping though. I mean, and it ties into your repetition argument. Is he's just kind of shooting? He's averaging a few more, uh, a little bit more three-point attempts per game since for the month of December. So confidence it, is definitely big. That's that's for sure in shooting. Uh, by the way, Jordan Clarkson's shooting percentages have quietly fallen off a cliff. Uh, she pl- had such a crazy start to the season, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, his I mean, his plus minus is still good, but if you're going to, you know, they're facing some benches and he might be, maybe he's a above average relative to most bench players. But uh, in the month of December, Jordan Clarkson shooting 38.8% from the field and 28.6% from three-point range. And he's still fine at the free throw line. He just doesn't get there too much. Uh, he's, I guess he the gets regression. there. Yeah, so... Uh, his his contract's going to be super interesting this summer to see uh, just, like, uh, is he an asset? Like, is some team going to want to take the – what does he have to – he has two years left on his deal. So it's just – I don't know. That's a uh, – so it, uh, he's 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 fallen off. Um, Julius Randle still I feel like is my is one of my favorite seesaws. Like, I'm not on um, – I know Zach Lowe has, like, a like an apartment on Julius – a villa or something, <laughs> waterfront views on Julius Randle Island. But, I've been off for his whole career until maybe the last few weeks. I'm just he's he's still fun to watch, but he's one of those players where maybe KCP kind of falls under this. I love watching him, but you have to ask like, oh, is he really good? <laughs> Did you see me tweet out his Contavious Caldwell Pope good the other day? I actually answered for you too to try and drum up those. Oh, you did? Yes, yeah, please. It was on. it got to like two thousand votes, and it was um, it said no one because it highlighted no. But it was 50-50, exactly, by the time the poll was done. Um, but there was an odd number of votes, so somebody had to win. Julius Randle, though, has defended more isolation possessions this year than anybody in the NBA. That's wild. I he, would not have guessed Opponents that. are only shooting 36.9% against him in those situations, uh, 43.1 effective field goal percentage. He's not uh, Maybe fouling. he really is the next Draymond. Uh, he's not fouling a lot. Um, and his, he's forcing turnovers almost 14% of the time. He's just, he seems to be playing smarter. And I mean, to, if you're going to defend the most isolation possessions in the NBA and then be in the 67th percentile of efficiency yeah, that's there. Solid. Yeah. I mean, so it's just, do you know who led the league last year in isolation possessions defended? 
I'm going to say uh, per game. No total. Sorry. I have no idea. Draymond Green. So it's funny that you mentioned okay. Julius Randle. <laughs> and Draymond well, Green. Well, I just thought it was funny when Luke Walton was first signed by the Lakers. They were like, he's going to turn Julius Randle into Draymond Green. Um, I don't. I feel like Julius Randle doesn't even have like a little bit of that freedom on the offensive end. Didn't Luke oh, Walton no. come out but and he... say, say the other like it was like this might have been months ago? He was like, no, we don't really want him to bring the ball up. He'll occasionally still do that, though. At least when I've watched, he'll grab a rebound and go coast to coast with it. Um, I'm fine. I mean, he's shooting 6.4 uh, free throws per 36 minutes, too, which is by far and away a career high. He's been, I, he just he hasn't been bad, but it's a contract year. His PR is at 16.8, another career high. His true shooting percentage is almost at that magic number of 60. It's at 59.4. Yeah. I mean, he's been good. I, I mean, his free throw rate is just absurd, 0. 0.468. Uh, so... You know, it's just... He's, I, I'm finally, like, coming around on him. This is the team I'm going to pick. I'm picking the Lakers to beat the Timberwolves because they're so... All right, we're, we are 0 for 2 on agreement then. I, the Timberwolves are clearly the better team, but I just... This feels like a game that the Lakers would take. It's just they have... I, I don't they, know. They, like, they're competitive no matter who they're up against, it seems right, like. And I don't trust the Wolves. Like, I just, I don't know about, do you, tr- they're on pace to win 48, 49 games right now. Do you trust that they're going to hit that number? I didn't trust them like two weeks ago, but the last couple of times I've watched them play, they, they look different to me. I, I think the pecking order is starting to um, sort itself out the way that it, it should be. And I think that's made them a better team. And I, I think they're going to get better even as the season goes on. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they still get to 50. So what's interesting, though, is they're on pace to win 48-49, but according to Cleaning the Glass, uh, their expected wins right now, based on how they've played, is 42.5, which would actually support yeah. the notion that I don't trust them. I wanted to look that up once I said I don't trust them. I'm going to pick the upset. I'm going to go Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I think Brandon Agram is going to have probably – he's actually probably going to have an efficient game if you're going to see like Jimmy Butler on you a bunch of times. But they might have to put Butler on Kuzma. Those defensive matchups are going to be really fun to watch. Um, I don't – I just don't – I mean like they have so many attackers on the Lakers and the Timberwolves are just – they're not a good defensive team and I feel like they're going to be able to get like super flustered super quickly. I'm, I'm going to roll with the upset. So I feel, right. I feel pretty good about it too. We're split on both of them. Um I'm going to jump to the Rockets and Thunder, the team that you said you weren't dying to watch play. Uh, Houston actually just got beat by the Lakers the other night. I think Kuzma had 38 in that game. You ready to change your pick for um, that Timberwolves-Lakers game? <laughs> no. Um, All right, whatever. Rockets-Thunder. I, I think we've talked about the Rockets quite a bit this year. It's obviously working with – Chris Paul and James Harden, they're, they're still one and two in win shares for 48. Um, Chris Paul is like climbing up the box plus minus and real plus minus leaderboards. The, the, this team is, despite the disappointing letdown to the Lakers, they, they still look to me like for the first time in a couple of years, a team that I would not be shocked to see uh, push the Warriors in the series. Yeah, I would. They, if, so if they play the Warriors right now, what percentage of chance would you give them to pull off the upset? To win the series, I'd give them like a. Assuming they're both full strength, chance. like a, you know, Steph's healthy, Draymond's healthy. Tw- uh, <laughs> twenty-five, and even that sounds high. Um, I was gonna say twenty-five, twenty-eight, and I think that that's probably I would say at least ten percent higher than anyone would have given any team at the start of the season. Yeah, that's true. 
the, they are just what they're like relentless with the fact that they have both point guards, um, James Harden or Chris Paul, they get one of those guys on the floor at all times, plus the depth that they have now, which we talked about a little bit when we talked about the LeBron rumor at the beginning. And do they really want to sacrifice that depth? I mean, they have three or four of these really good switchy defenders now. Capella is like the perfect partner for Chris Paul and James Harden. It's just that this roster fits together so, so, so well. And they're, they're just, I mean, getting the performances that they have from Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon has just made them so deep. They're, yeah. that And that Anderson, Ariza, Capella, Gordon, Harden lineup is, is just nuts. Uh, it's the, the Rockets' most used lineup. They've logged almost 200 minutes together, scoring 120.8 points per 100 possessions, defensive Jeez. rating of 98.8 in a lineup that has James Harden, Ryan Anderson, and Eric Gordon. Defensive rating of 98.8, yeah. uh, net rating of 22. That's just uh, the true shooting of that lineup, by the way. Uh, 62.6. 62.6. That's Jeez. that's that's incredible to me. Uh, they're pretty good defensive rebounding unit. And the thing that I've probably been most impressed with is that when they play Ryan Anderson at center, a lot of those combinations like aren't this terrible like like defensive disaster. And that's even you know that's a nod to him. And I know he has to come out of a game the other night. Um, because he was defending so poorly, which I, you, I almost kind of respect. I'm sure there'd be hot takers out there that think like, oh, but I know that was pretty like deep there. It's just he's, I mean, he's he's been put in isolation. That's exactly what hot takers sound like. But he's been put in isolation a lot too. Like teams are attacking him, and sometimes it works, but it's it's almost harder to do when when he's at center and and he's just. From where he shoots, like it should be illegal. Like his his average shot distance That's is like just a like a huge part of their offense. It's just okay, the Ryan. There's a new stand guys, by the timeline. Yeah, if you have to guard somebody like six or seven feet beyond the three point line, it just makes everything so much easier for everybody else. His and he's not the only one who does it too. Like he, I think he is the prime example. But they have a couple guys who can launch from back there. And if you if you suddenly make the game three on three. And one of those players is James Harden. You're you're gonna win like eight times out of ten. I don't disagree with that even a little bit. His average shot <laughs> distance this season is almost 21 feet for an average. It's the second highest yeah, on the team because Bobby up. Brown hasn't like yeah, earlier. It's insane. It's just he's I don't know. It, it, it works, and if you're gonna be able to survive when he's at center, I don't. That's I don't think that's gonna happen when you're playing the Warriors. That's something you kind of have to look at. But I mean, it's. Yeah. It's a model that helps, and they, they haven't been able to test out that lineup that, or not at least extensively, that lineup that everyone wants to see is uh, the Harden-Paul with Mbamut, Ariza, and P.J. Tucker lineup. And they've gone super small and been super switchy, but like that lineup feels like it could kind of stand up to the Warriors or at least give them a fighting chance. Uh, it's just, And they can play any style, too. Like they, They're going to be a good half-court team, so... Uh, it's just, I don't know, they're, they're a scary team, and uh, I don't really know that this is a question with the way the Thunder are playing right now. Like, they've been a little bit better on offense. They're now the best defensive team in the league, though, because the Boston Celtics have kind I, of... Evolved. I saw that. That's crazy. Yeah. I, still, I, still think the, uh, I still think the Rockets win this rather easily. Um, I have the Rockets, too. I think Westbrook, um, he, he's obviously plucky and maybe even more so on the super national stage of Christmas Day 
but I, I, I think especially with the Rockets coming off a loss, they'll be a little bit more focused, and I think they'll be fine. Um, Boston-Washington is the game that I would pick to look at next. All right, let's hear it. Uh, Boston is like, they've been not good with Kyrie Irving on the floor since the start of December. Like, it just hasn't been, you know. That, we, we that stat about- you dropped in the last episode about, like, the on-off when it's just Horford or when it's just Irving was, that was eye-opening. Horford's so valuable to this team, and people, they don't even really notice. But for the month of December, uh, the Celtics are, they're still a plus point, uh, excuse me, they're still a plus 5.1 points per 100 possessions with Kyrie Irving on the floor, but the defense is just not good. And he's, it doesn't seem like he's kind of like making reads with as much gusto. He's still, this is probably still in the macro, been the best defensive season of his career. Um, but they just it's it's funny because they they're not they were on pace to win like 67 69 games at one point and they they're just not that team and like you can't get bent out of shape about that like you can't expect them to have maintained that pace and even yeah. you know even expecting them although it did after a while it was kind of like oh yeah they're probably just this this is what they'll probably do but like even expecting them to maintain that league best defensive pace was probably pretty ambitious because you start um, so, so many, many rookies and like second year guys yeah so I mean, like you're relying on Semi Ojeli and and Daniel Tice, like those guys are good, but you know they're rookies. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've they've been coming back to earth. I, I think they're still a lot better than I would have anticipated after the Gordon Hayward injury. For sure. Um, but I think Washington's getting healthier. John Wall's been back for the last couple games. Um, they are they're a much different team when he's on the floor. And I think if they have their full complement of players. Um, I'm going to go with the Wizards on this one, but this is a harder call for me than, than any of the other games. I feel like Washington has been one of this season's disappointments. Um, even with John Wall's injury, I would have thought they'd be more than three games over 500. Just talent-wise, I felt like this was one of the best starting units in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I, the, and the Marcus Morris version of the starting lineup has been disappointing. Because uh, his performance has just been bizarre. Mike Scott has been fun though. He's been yeah. He's been absolutely ridiculous. Uh, fun fact about Mike Scott has the Wizards' highest net rating since the start of December. Ten games. Oh wow! They are outscoring teams by twelve point nine points per hundred possessions with him on the floor. Just throwing it out they there. play the. Uh, I should have looked this up before we started talking about it, but have they played the uh, Markeith Morris at center lineup much this year? No, I don't think they. Because I remember that was like. Their own little version of the death lineup where it was Wall, Beal, Oubre, Porter, and um, Markeith, if I'm remembering correctly, was pretty solid last year. Well, they now they have Mahimi, so maybe they can't can't do that as much this year because they got to get Mahimi on the floor. Um, I'm looking it up as we talk. I'm actually looking it up too, and they've played it for a total of four minutes, and they have the net rating is great, but it it just – Marquise Morris has been weird this year, too. Um, they've also played that lineup. This is an interesting one, but it's only seen three minutes, and it's been terrible. Again, these are these sample sizes just don't matter. Um, but Mike Scott as the center with you have Porter, Marquise Morris, Beal, and Wall. Like some version of that might be – if might be Mike Scott might be a better small ball center option than Marquise Morris at this point, I guess would basically be my point. But you yeah. haven't – you know, when you're looking at the four-man combination of Porter, Wall – Beal and Markeith, like they basically haven't played with 
anybody who isn't Marcin Gortat. They've had four other lineups that have logged time with that combination, and they've totaled between those four just 11 total minutes. So it just they haven't really had a chance to explore it. The other thing to kind of keep an eye on, though, is uh, John Wall, still fantastic. But since he's yeah. come back from injury, they're not even scoring 100 points per 100 possessions with him on the floor. In those oh, four I games. did not realize that. So, like, that's a that's a problem. It's the yeah. exact number is ninety nine point six. So, like, wow. and he's supposed to be the heartbeat of your offense because, um, leading into December, like, it was just they just couldn't function without him on the court. And it came, and, you know, Bradley Beal was fine. The offense was always at almost average during that time that Wall was out. But they were leading into December, so through November, they were scoring one hundred and ten point six points per one hundred possessions with Wall on the floor. When he stepped off, that number would plummet to 101.1. And now they're actually scoring lower than that with him on the court. And, it's, you know, he's working back from those ERP injections. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Boston probably because I don't trust Washington. And even during this, like, do we? I guess we call it a slump by Boston, um, that Knicks game is probably not one that they should have lost. I think we could both, you know, you had Kyrie Irving yeah. for 37 minutes, Porzingis going 0 of 11, whatever it was. I just still – Jason Tatum has yet to really regress – offensively uh, it seems like they're still carving out enough spacing pretty and, crazy that yeah. he's still doing what he's doing i think that this might be would you agree that this might be like the closest game that we see um i actually was a little torn on the sixers knicks call too that's fair um and the last thing before we get to mailbag uh over the last 10 games the brooklyn nets do in fact the brooklyn nets and the phoenix suns both have a better defensive rating than the boston celtics so just going to since when the last 10 games oh wow and but the catch is like boston's still just 16th on that scale but still to you know yeah. that's they're, they're supposed to be the that's top defense yeah. so they're going to need to pick that up but i'll go celtics you have wizards um, yep what about cavs warriors we didn't do that one either oh wow i almost i mean you just want to pick the warriors and move on um, I mean, no Steph. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, if Curry's not playing, maybe there's... Well, would you like to... Would you want to hear... So I thought using NBA Maths Fats projections, when um, Clay Tom, excuse me, when Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, or Stephen Curry play without any other all-star on the floor. So when there's just one of them, and then Clay Thompson, uh, Curry... Or when one of them and the other three are on the bench, the Warriors play basically like a 60-win team, no matter whether it's Curry, oh, Green, or Durant yeah. running solo. And the other thing is when Andre Godala plays without any of the – I'm calling them the big three. I don't want to, like, eliminate Clay Thompson, but he doesn't really get, like, solo run. So when yeah. Andre Godala plays without any of those three, the Warriors are again playing like a 60-win team. And the, comparis- crazy. the comparisons that come up are just, like, absurd. Like, when it's just, like, Curry – uh, they play like the 2015-2016 Warriors. When it's just Durant, they play like the 2007-2008 Boston Celtics, like are their top comparisons. So they're just – they're really good and really deep, and I think we're seeing now more than ever that they're built to play any style because they they play so much slower when Steph's off the floor and they just tend to rely yeah. more on Kevin Durant's decision-making in the half court, and it still works. Like the offensive rating has dropped – but, like, they still pump in basically 111 points per 100 possessions when Durant's in the game. And they're a little bit more cognizant of getting back in transition because they know that it's it's more difficult for them to win a shootout and those easy baskets matter. Their three-point attempt rate uh, has plummeted in the time that Curry's absent, but it, it just works. Like, they're shape-shifting their identity, essentially, 
and it's not it's not just the star power. I, it, it just helps that they're so deep and that their role players just fill these uh, these like di- different purposes. Um, Omri Caspi is the guy I keep going to, and probably not He's the been guy awesome. I should because like this isn't I a keep guy thinking who's... what was new. I don't understand why New Orleans cut him when they got him. Yeah, I mean, look. Because he broke his hand and like they needed to win now, and, and then he came back like two or three weeks later, right? Yeah, that was so bizarre. Um, but he's like, like he's just cutting. Like it's not even like he's feasting on catch and shoot looks. Like he's he's smart yeah, enough to cut. So they, they found a way to. Yeah, he's awesome. They they fill in gaps and it, it just works. So uh, I mean, and David West is just spectacular. I was just gonna ask you if do you realize who's leading the NBA in defensive real plus minus? That wouldn't shock me. It's David West, yeah. Um, How did they turn him into, like, this elite shot blocker? At no point in his career was he a shot blocker until randomly he shows up for the Warriors and is just, like, nobody can score inside on him. I I don't even know. It's just, like, he's just – he like, there's something in, like, the Warriors' Gatorade coolers or something. He, like, <laughs> just looks more bouncy. Um, and, and this is unfair when you realize how much star power the Warriors have. Uh, their bench has the – uh, best net rating uh, in the league. Their bench is awesome this but year. Do you know? Wait, do you know what's hysterical? Uh, the Rockets have the second best, and the Cavaliers have the third best bench. Talk about a top heavy league. Yeah, those are our. Yeah, those are the contenders. Um, so David West averaged one block per thirty six minutes for the first, um, like whatever, fifteen years of his career. The last two, he's averaging. 2.4 blocks per 36. This season alone, he's averaging 3.4 blocks per 36. <laughs> I mean, it helps when you don't have to no play. Sense. Like, yeah, and I mean, like, the competition he's going up against. But to have that depth at your disposal when you're th- as good as the Warriors um, is just spectacular. I do think, however, while some people will write this off because, oh, Kurt, like, you want Draymond Green to play because the Warriors, you want them to be as close to his full strength as possible. But this is still a good barometer for the Cavs of where they're at, even though they don't have Thomas. Because if you fall to a shorthanded Warriors team, or if it's not even close, like, you know, you've got some things to kind of figure out. And, and the Cavs have been really, really good um, yeah. since that loss to the Rockets. And even kind of like during that loss Basically, to the Rockets. Basically, since they lost, they lost Derek points. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, but th- like their bench has really come together. I'm so interested to see when Isaiah Thomas comes back. This doesn't tie into that the really is game. But... The, uh, I was going to say that's the key is the bench. When Dwayne Wade and Kyle Korver are on the floor, that team is really good. They're a, they're a net plus without LeBron James on the floor, the Cavaliers this season. That's wild. Like, that just doesn't happen. Like that that doesn't happen. And you just they've been they've been just incredibly absurd uh, during this like stretch where they're. Uh... You actually might have given us the perfect segue though, because I one of our mailbag questions is um, is it really a difference maker? Or is he overhyped? Oh, good. So let's throw our pick for the Christmas game and, and move right on to IT. I, I think it's going to uh, be Warriors. I'm going to go Warriors. Do you think yeah. it's going to be close? Yes, I'll say it's competitive. I'm like, so I don't, I honestly don't know what to say. I'm going to say it will be competitive, but I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm hesitant, like, because the Warriors are so um, ridiculously scary. Yeah, I'm going to go Warriors. All right, that's fine. Um, so, it do you think he's a difference maker? I would say I do. if yes. he's healthy, I think he's a huge difference. He's maker. a better he's a better off ball shooter and better cutter than Derrick Rose, so he should fit. The problem, or one of the problems, I think, could be it is it's just a trying task when you have to integrate 
all these ball dominant talents together. And he is used yeah, to working with, for sure. with the rock in his hands. And is he going to be comfortable kind of segueing into this catch and shoot role? Uh, or, you know, it's, you're not going to call Kyrie Irving didn't have to live off catch and shoots if he's going to fulfill that role. But you have Dwayne Wade now leading the second unit. Um, and it's, what do you do with him? Like, I guess the easy answer is yes, he starts in place of Jose Calderon. But like at this point, do you mess with a good thing? Um, the one thing I don't think called, I, I would say yes. Yes. I, okay. I actually just looked up yesterday. Um, Calderon has been a huge upgrade over Derrick Rose, but there is still a lot of room for that starting unit to improve. And what's probably promising, though, is that that starting unit has not been good defensively, but if you're not going to get any worse by swapping out Thomas for Calderon. So if you can play Kevin Love no. at center and not get destroyed when Jose Calderon's on the floor, maybe that's your b- blueprint to doing the same with Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, and at least statistically, um, he was better than Kyrie last year. So he, If he's fully healthy and himself, he— and if you want to say Kyrie's better because he's younger, like just whatever, but like he replaces most of what, like at full strength, what he was last year. At the very least, he would replace 75%, probably more of what Kyrie Irving did. Yep. That's how I feel too. Um, this question comes in from NBA Math's own Frank Urbina. Uh, he wants to know of any potential Hassan Whiteside trade destinations. How do you trade an injured Hassan I... Whiteside who hasn't played? <laughs> Um, in roughly six years. How many games has he even played this season? Ten? It's probably more than that. Um, um, he's play- yeah, he's played, I think, in 12. One, two, three, four. He has played 15 games. And he has not played since November 29th. Uh, and he's been, actually, like, I, I think he's been better this year. I, speaking of real plus minus, he's second in defensive real plus minus. He still puts up the gaudy, like, rebounding numbers. Um We've we've talked about Hassan Whiteside hypothetical trades on here before. I, I I know we talked about the Bucks as a possible destination, but I always just feel like I'm kind of banging my head against the wall trying to find trade destinations for big guys. Well, I mean, especially big guys that are dealing with knee problems, and he like yeah. basically was claiming that the Heat misdiagnosed it or weren't taking it seriously enough. I don't know if you like you saw that quote it was a few weeks ago. So I don't know how you move him. Um, while he's currently dealing with, it's still called a left knee bone bruise, which is hysterical because does a left knee bone bruise keep you out for basically a month? Um, I don't know. Like he has fifty two point five million dollars left on his deal after this one, spanning two years. I just don't even like maybe Milwaukee makes some sense, but you're not. I don't think you want to pay him that money. This is probably a situation where you realistically have to attach an asset to him now, and if you're going to do that. You know, the teams I, I would look at would be Chicago. Um, is is Phoenix, would they consider it? My guess is no, because they kind of, if you're getting rid of Tyson Chandler in the process, yeah, sure, obviously, but you still have Len and you still have Bender, and it looks like Marquise Chris is going to have to be a, a five eventually because he doesn't seem like he's suited for the four. It, it, you kind of have to hunt down those scenarios. Like, it's, to me, it's not necessarily a fit, it's who's willing to take what has become. A, a close to bad contract or just an outright bad contract. And maybe it's something where, you know, are you willing to go like, I don't even know what the sweetener is. Like, do you want, you're not going to give up just these Winslow to get the bulls to take uh, um, on Hassan Whiteside. Are you like, is that something you consider? Uh, would you use Ronnie Magruder who's injured himself? And maybe the bulls want to take a flyer on like this feisty swing man. Um, 
I don't know, but like the Bulls, they could build something around Robin Lopez, and if you're willing to include an actual sweetener, maybe they'll uh, give you Nikola Mirotic. I don't know how much use you have for him um, with Kelly Olynyk and James Johnson, but if you're getting Mirotic is going to get his jersey up in the rafters in Chicago too. You can't trade him. They need to. They need to tank. <laughs> like once he's eligible yeah. to be traded uh, on January fifteenth, yeah, he needs to go. Yeah, for sure. Um, so those that would be – I don't know how you feel. I don't think there's a team that needs us on Whiteside. There might be two or three teams that are just willing to eat him for compensation. Like if you were willing to give up Winslow to Chicago, like Whiteside and Winslow, and you can take back Miritich and Filler, like do you just might as well consider it at this point. Like I – Yeah. Maybe, like maybe Chicago doesn't even want Filler. Maybe they'll give you Justin Holiday. I don't, I don't know about that, but that would be a trade for them to consider in my mind. Um, we got one from Colby Sturgeon. He says, hey, Andrew, D. Bailey, what about Michael Beasley for MVP? I mean, isn't he already leading, like, the basketball <laughs> reference MVP probability? He yeah. should, if he's not. Um, we talked about this. Jeez, I don't remember if it was before or after we started recording. But um, Michael Beasley's per 36-minute numbers for the Knicks this year, eerily similar to Car- Carmelo Anthony's last year. Except for the fact that New York is a plus when he's in. And was a minus when Mello was in last year. That's so cruel. I just thought I would throw that to you uh, as someone who's um, as loyal a supporter of Mello as I know. Well, that seems like it's going a little far. But, I mean, Michael Beasley's been good. He's instant offense, and he was he was really rebounding the ball in that I'm just so happy. I feel like I've been, like, half-jokingly praising Michael Beasley for so long, and now he's – He's pretty good this year. It's, I'll be interested to see like how committed they are to the like once Tim Hardaway Jr. comes back, whose playing time is getting cut? Yeah. So That's and a if good you're question. if you're committed to like like if, if you're committed to the rebuild, like it, it would Michael Beasley would be among the people that are getting like his minutes are just gonna kinda dip a little bit. I, I guess That's funny. That, I say he's been kinda good this year and I looked him up as I'm saying that. He's like he posts terrible advanced numbers every single season, including this one. Well, do you want to know what he's shooting over his last? He's uh, over his last ten games, twenty-two minutes a game, and he's getting off thirteen shots per game in those twenty minutes, like the twenty-two minutes. So yeah, he's, get it. <laughs> he's averaging, get it, he's averaging twenty-one point four field goal attempts per thirty-six minutes over his That's last amazing. ten games. Uh, second only to Chris Stops, and he's. He's slashing fifty three. Who else shoots? If the if if Porzingis is shooting more, um, I mean Courtney Lee's at four. I mean Sessions and Willie Hernan Gomez are up there, but they don't play. Courtney Lee, uh, Cantor gets his shots up, but like no one has been unleashed. Uh, yeah, it's just I mean Frank Neilkeen has been a little bit more. They've been fun to watch, but you know I I think reasonably it's probably Beasley who should be falling out of the rotation once Tim Hart. If you're committed, like if you're. You know, like, or are you going to all of a sudden, uh, nope, we're going to go with a bunch of wings and Neil Aquina is going to see, like, even fewer minutes. You don't want to see that happening. So I'll just be interested to see what they do with the rotation when um, when he comes back. This question comes from King Cy, uh, at ball is life underscore Cy, C-Y. Is Trey Young going to be the best NBA player of all time? And is Key Lime Cheesecake the best cheesecake of all time? He answered both his questions. I'm going to get to the cheesecake one first, and the answer to me is hell no. Do you know what the best cheesecake I need, is? I need some raspberry on my cheesecake. So I have my friends – one of my really good friends' sister runs like a bakery 
out of her, like a dessert shop out of her house, out of her kitchen. She Ooh. makes uh, chocolate chip cookie dough cheesecake. And That's it's good. the best thing I've ever tasted. So I you, love cheesecake, first of all. I mean, she, I love cheesecake. I try not – I can't – like I can't ration. So like if, I, if I'm going to have like desserts, like I'm going to eat a dozen donuts in one sitting or an entire cheesecake <laughs> in one sitting. I'm the so. same way, and my body is starting to pay the price. I, my, I lost my amazing young man metabolism finally, and it's bad. Um, I do like a, a daily weekly diet and then cut loose on the weekends and then I work out about two or three hours a day. So I need that's, that, that's, 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 that's another big problem for me. I have just completely given up on health altogether. Um, well, I, that's really depressing. You do have a kid. Young is, yeah, it's harder, man. When you have a kid, it's not an excuse, but it's, um, it's harder to care about working out. Trey young is interesting to me. I, I looked this up the other day. Um, I wanted to see because he's leading the NCAA in scoring right now. Twenty eight point five points is just nuts. Yeah, and so I looked up the leading score in the NBA, NCAA for each of the last twenty seasons, and the only, um, if I'm remembering this right, the only like decent NBA player in the whole bunch was Stephen Curry, who did it <laughs> one year. Doug McDermott is in there, so he's still in the NBA. Um, but other than that, it was like everybody's overseas, basically. So, like, prolific scoring in college is not indicative of NBA success. I do think his case is different. The fact that he's also averaging 10 assists, yeah, which that's... is, like, borderline unheard of in the NCAA just because it's harder to get assists with the way that they keep track of stats. Um, I, I don't know how to <laughs> evaluate this guy. I need to watch him more, first of all. But... Uh, yeah, the numbers, it just the raw numbers are wild. I just is his freedom uh, and I've caught mostly tape of him. I'm not going to pretend I cram my scouting for college basketball into like 8 weeks before I'm the draft. The same um, way. Yeah. But like from what I've seen of like his highlights, I just that like ungoverned freedom that he has, like does that translate to the NBA? Like that's what seems to draw him the comparison um to Stephen Curry and I don't know that you can uh he I don't know that it seems lazy to just compare the two automatically, but I, I guess it's that just because of like their unchecked um, shot selection. I just, I don't know. Uh, the 10 assists, like you said, though, are what really, that, that's me. what sets him apart. Yeah. Cause most, all those other guys who led the nation in scoring over the last 20 years, none of them are close to 10 assists a game. I mean, he's like, it, he's crazy. crazy. Yeah. He's, um, he's per Bleach Report's Jonathan Wasserman. He's averaging 1.056 points per possession on dribble jumpers. Like to yeah, that's, aver- t- yeah. yeah. Uh, like that's just that's nuts. I don't, I don't. I honestly, I don't think he's going to be drafted in the top five. Do you? No, I don't think so either. I, think, I think, think the 10? physicals. If he keeps this up, I it would. I'm sure some team would give him a shot. It, um, but the physical stuff with guys like Bagley and Aiton and. Doncic, that's going to be hard to overcome. Um, but anybody, uh, in yeah. answer to the question, I think he I, I, he's not going to be the greatest player of all time. That's okay. uh, let's see. Um, I have Arjun, from. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say Arjun Baradwaj updated Bulls record um, floor. <laughs> record ceiling read floor. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, Miritich has turned them into just basically the, the 19. I wouldn't be surprised if they get to like 30 wins. 
Are you kidding? Denzel, are you, what, what are you and Denzel Valentine drinking? He said the other day that he still thinks they have what it takes to make they the playoffs. They just went seven in a row, didn't they? That's seven games of an 82-game season. <laughs> they 30 they, games is not a lot either. They're at 10 wins now, so they'd have to go 20 and, 20 and 25 over the rest of the way. So maybe yeah, that might be overshooting. I'll it. give them twenty. I'll give them <laughs> twenty four, twenty five. That's the new. I would have had them under twenty comfortably a couple weeks ago. I'll give them twenty four, twenty five now. All right, I'm I'm comfortable with that too. Um, this came from Elliot Watts at Elliot W. Uh, assuming Dennis Schroeder is available, what would his trade value be? This might be one of the most difficult mailbag questions we've ever had, right? <laughs> or is it just me? It's tough, and you even posed it to me before. We started recording, and I, I don't feel like I have um, I don't feel like I have a ton to. It's the so here here are a couple problems. Is I don't think his extension, uh, which will have three years on it after, left after this year, I don't think it, it's that big of a deal. But he is also twenty four. Um, is that the guy you want to grow with if you're a rebuilding team? Uh, probably not. Uh, he has yet to show that he can anchor an elite attack, although the Hawks have at times come close to playing like an average offense when he's on the floor. Uh, the bigger issue might be, of the teams that need point guards, like who's going after Dennis, Dennis Schroeder? I just, I don't see Yeah, it. I don't know. Denver, I don't think looks at, De- I, don't, I don't think it looks at him. Uh, What's his de- contract right now? 15 uh, million a year, 15 and a half million a year. Yeah. So that's actually like, that's okay for if, a starting if, point guard. Yeah, I was going to say, if that's going to be your starting point guard, that's pretty good. But, like, look at the teams that need – like, does Denver, like, kick that around? Like, do you have Jamal Murray and Emmanuel Moutier? You're really going to consolidate? No, to do... I wouldn't. So I, I would rather have Jamal Murray. Like, would the Clippers take a flyer on him? Like, if they could piece together, like, the the right contracts? Maybe. But, like, that that doesn't seem possible. Um and just nothing else. Like you just look at the teams. Phoenix has a weird point guard situation right now. They don't like they have Mike James, but Brandon Knight's injured. What do you really think that Tyler Ewis is going to be for them? Schroeder and uh, Booker could be kind of interesting together too. Uh, I I would sign up for that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. How, yeah, defensively it could be problems, but it'd be fun to watch. It would be incredibly fun to watch, and I mean. But like, what are you? Are you getting a fir- are you getting a first round pick from a rebuilding team for Schroeder though? Like, you're not going to get that Heat pick that Phoenix owns. Uh, nah, yeah, I don't think you'd get a super value. You might get like a mid to late first rounder for him. Um, what, maybe I guess, I, guess, <laughs> I guess an interesting trade would be if you build something around uh, Dragon Bender, who they seem to like better than Chris right now. But if you're willing to give up Bender and like for filler. Chandler like are you going to attach a second round pick to that like does that get it done because then the Hawks can kind of look at it but they also already have John Collins and Dwayne Dedman's there but how long is Dwayne Dedman there for but that's probably what they might be able to get a a current first round prospect um, or like a mid first rounder I I don't think they're getting both for for Dennis Schroeder at this point it's just because the point guard market uh, it's, it's oversaturated with talent there aren't a lot of teams that need um, a starting point guard, but Phoenix is now officially my favorite destination for Schroeder. I like it too. Um, Billy Adams at Adams Ten Billy asks, "Does Utah trade Gobert at the end of the season?" I think that's probably yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I get why people are like this. Has been rumbling among Jazz fans now because the offense has been a little bit better during the times that he's been hurt. 
this season and um you know favors has looked a little bit bouncier than he did last season but I, I the the obvious answer is still no if the three point shooters are hitting threes when Gobert's in the game they're they're fine and he's he's he was the second best center in the league last season I would say the first uh but the I, voters put Anthony Davis ahead of him on on the NBA teams but I I just don't see he's a foundational piece it's it's hard to find those if you're a team like Utah I mean, especially you just lost one in Gordon Hayward, too. I mean, and Gobert's 25, you know? Like, yep. he's not super. He's going to turn 26 in June. Um, yeah, I don't I, – I would be – I think the core going forward has to be Gobert, Mitchell. Um, it's looking would, more and more like Hood. They would sooner, I think, tank for Donkic than they would entertain, like, trade for Rudy. Like, that would make more sense, I guess, is what – it might be easier yeah, to say that. But, I, like, throwing the towel on this season and then – Rudy Gobert is still young enough to kind of lead you into the future with whoever you get in the draft. I agree. So that's um, a no. This trade, or this trade, this question comes from Joe Montgomery, at Joe Montgomery, oh, <laughs> at Joe Montgomery, uh, Joe, M-O-N-T-O-M-G-O-M-E-Y. His name is Joe Montgomery, but there's no R in his Twitter handle. I'm assuming it was taking. Biggest surprise uh, slash disappointing teams so far this season, other than the Thunder. Let's go one each on this. And can, and can I start with surprising? Yes, go for it. The damn Indiana Pacers. Ooh, that's a good one. No one would have – if you would have told me that they would have had the seventh best offense – oh, excuse me, I'm, I'm only looking at their bench numbers too. If you would have told me that they have uh, one of the NBA's six best offenses like after the Paul George trade, I, I probably would have like laughed. And like, yeah. And it's just there – I think I said this on the last pod – when I look at their offense on paper, like there, there are a lot of things that kind of like seem to make me uncomfortable. Like they, they don't have the best shot profile, but when you watch them, and and they, I still think they should shoot more threes. But when you watch them, like you have these guys um, hitting threes, uh, you have them getting out in transition. Victor Oladipo has been insane on pull ups and in isolation. I some of it just doesn't seem sustainable. Again, they lead the league in long mid range attempts. And it just doesn't. And they're second, by the way, in long mid-range attempt percentage. Though they're shooting forty-five point four percent on long mid-range shots, according to Cleaning the Glass. And they're third overall in mid-range jumpers. But when you watch them, it works. Like just Demantis Sabonis kind of just sliding off of uh, screens, like slipping them to the outside and just draining them. That I I don't. This Pacers team might be in, in the sense that they could contend for a let's say a top five, top six playoff t- seed in the East. Uh, I would say they're for real, and, and that definitely surprises me. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um, for my surprise, I'm going to go with the – man, as I'm looking at the teams, it's like harder to pick one out than I thought it would be. I think the Knicks are a contender. Um, they've been better than I expected. I'm going to say the Rockets because I, I thought they would be good and I was not that worried about the Harden-Paul fit, but I did not think they would be this good. I, I didn't anticipate myself almost a third of the way into the season thinking – they might give the Warriors some problems. So that's my surprise. And disappointment is – I'm a little torn here too. No, um, come on. Charlotte Hornets. I was going to say between the Hornets and the Wizards. Um, but if I'm going to go with your confidence on it and say Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. So And here's – we've said this that so many times, but I want to contextualize it a little bit more. Um, in the 1,014 minutes that Kemba Walker has played this season – um, the Charlotte Hornets are a plus one hundred and three. 
and a plus 103 overall would rank fifth in the league in front of the Spurs, in front of the Bucks, in front of the Timberwolves, the Wizards. Now, without him, they've only played 484 minutes, and they've been outscored by 165 points. So we're talking about basically yeah, half the playing time, and they're they're generating like doubly worse results. And a minus 165 total would be the worst mark in the league. It would put you behind. Like, the, like that's just I need we need people to understand. I thought so they it's were like be everybody a but team. Kemba has has been very disappointing, and yeah. I thought they'd be in the playoffs too. And Kemba has not been at, like his when he came back from the shoulder injury. Like, he just, I don't know, he hasn't looked right. I don't know if they rushed him back, which is absolutely stupid. Like, he has not been shooting um, as well. His three-point percentage is cratered over the last seven games, below 28%, below 36% overall from the field. Um, it's, and he, his plus-minus is still good during that time, mind you. But uh, I, I don't think they're a team that can rebound from it. And since you picked them, I'm just going to pick – I'm going to pick the Grizzlies. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. Deeper, deeper than advertised, I thought they were at the beginning of the season. I went from writing them out of the playoff picture to calling them a playoff lock to now I'm like, why is Marcus all even They're a disaster. Play? They're still there. And they don't – Did you see – I was gonna, my Marcus all stat today was pretty bad, too. Uh, what was that one? Seven footers who take at least 15 shots a game. Um, there's been 88 individual seasons. He's, his effective field goal percentage this season is uh, 87th. Yeah, I don't. I mean, people are saying like he's, he's not the problem awful. in Memphis. Like, I he's been bad. He's part of the problem there. And yeah, it was. It's we a, talked about this after Fizgo Dale got fired, but like, they might have made the wrong choice. They did. It's not. Uh, it's just. It shouldn't have been. Like, it should have been like Gasol make this work. I'm not like it's not David Fizdale needs to be your building block, but still. Yeah. Um, our last question. Um, we actually, so we had a bunch of d- different versions of these questions. I'm going to go with, I think the first one to get it in was Zach Knoll at Zach, Z-A-C-H underscore Knoll, K-N-O-L-L. Will Brett Baum be the coach of the 76ers next season at this current rate? I'm just going to say yes, because I don't think, like, what have you given him? Like, this is his first season with a, like a real NBA roster and the Sixers are contending for the playoffs, but you still have Joel Embiid. Um, not playing back-to-backs or missing a few games in a row. You don't have Markel Fultz. The depth off the bench, like you don't have these proven floor spacers off the bench at, at minimum. Um, I, I just don't – and you're still – you're you're testing out things. Like Robert Covington has been good, uh, save for the past few uh, games. You have Ben Simmons, a shoo-in for Rookie of the Year, probably going to generate all-star love. You're experimenting with things with Rachon Holmes, but you, you're still kind of two big men laden. Like you, you the Dario Saric – uh, Embiid, Simmons, like it's and having Rachon Holmes too, and you trade for Devin, uh, excuse me, Trevor Booker, and you have Amir Johnson. It's just still kind of wacky. If we're at next year, midway through, and he has a healthy roster, and the Sixers are still kind of laboring below 500, maybe we start talking about his job security then. But they've finally given him a real roster, and I still think the circumstances have just been so far from ideal outside of his control. I'm not sure how we grade him. Yeah, I was gonna say he he probably should be back next year. But if they if they finish like comfortably below five hundred, I I could I wouldn't be surprised to hear whispers of maybe them making a change. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I I think you got to give the guy more time. This roster isn't quite what it should be yet, and really the only thing that would 
worry me is, you know, maybe Colangelo is not as much of a long game type of view as Sam Hinkie was. But, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with yes on that one too. All right. And I think that wraps us up. Um, thanks as always to the listeners who provided the questions. Uh, you guys will get the amazing honor of being tagged in the, the picture. Um, <laughs> When this posts, um, if you want to continue to interact with us on Twitter, Dan is at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Um, once again, holidays are a great time to steal people's phones and uh, subscribe them to our podcast, rate, review. Uh, this may seem underhanded, but it's not. It's It's for the good of uh, NBA Twitter in general, you and your friends will be just so knowledgeable if you listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> and with that, we leave you with the shout out to Bino Udri and since I'm feeling Christmassy, uh, Kyle Anderson. I never planned on losing my job, but we all know life can change in an instant. And losing my family's health insurance was an even tougher pill to swallow. So I looked into Cobra, but too pricey. Then I found out I could enroll through Covered California, where I was able to choose from good health insurance companies I've actually heard of. I even got help paying for it. There's a limited time to qualify after losing your insurance, so check out CoveredCA.com today. Covered California. It's more than just health care. It's life care. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight. From the makers of five-hour energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.